Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, this is technically episode 400 for us. Um, oh, man. You know, it, it's one of those things that you'd really like to to be celebratory and like we've done this 400 episodes and the big milestone but nope same shit different week uh this time um losing to nebraska 13 to 10 in a game that was just craptastic from top to bottom i mean like i i I just a quick statistic off the top you know i I saw this today the northwestern S&P plus ratings are out for this week and nationally According to the S&P Plus, we have the 8th ranked defense in the country and the 125th ranked offense in the country. You haven't seen a disparity like that since Pat Mahomes at Texas Tech with their offense to defense disparity. So our defense is as good as Pat Mahomes back in Texas uh, Tech. It's it's like the Fitz McCall essence has been triple distilled this year. And I mean, this has been the the undercurrent of the Fitz era, right? Like the defense has been incredible. The defense has been really good year in, year out, and the offense has struggled, and we're living on the extremes this year. So why don't we flip it this week since we're going to cover a lot of the same horrific ground this week that we did last week. Let's just lead with the defense. As long as we're talking about this awesome unit that has continued to play amazing all you know all season. Like Nebraska, say what you will about them, you know, this, I mean, and they have a bad defense, and that's going to make where we're going to have to go later all the more painful. But they're capable of doing great things on offense. Not in this game, they weren't. Um, you can basically break down Nebraska's performance in this game to basically what two to three Wondell Robinson plays, and that was that was it. That was their whole game. Aside from that, this team did nothing offensively. Um, our, and our defense shut them down. And not only did they shut them down, it was just one of those performances where you're looking at guys like, I don't know, Greg Newsom or even Cam Ruiz, and they're just exuding this like athletic level of dominance where you just see Nebraska and you're like, oh, don't throw that flat pass. You're going to get obliterated. And, you know, like I said, with the exception of and we're going to you know, this will be a theme a couple of really well drawn up individual plays by Nebraska's brain trust. They did absolutely nothing in this game. And I, I have to tip our hat to, again, what SMP plus says is the eighth best defense in the country. I mean, it felt like it in this game. I would, I would trade a third of my possessions for a creativity uh, uh, on par with that shovel pass to Wondell Robinson off the uh off the fake the fake read option that was that was phenomenal that was kind of a backbreaker for us and yeah. and the you know their first touchdown too um their their the, only touchdown their i mean their only touchdown of the game was in a play where and it's hilarious uh they ran on third and long what made them running on third and long different from all the times we run on third and long no one was expecting it. There was no reason for them to run that play. They were deep in our territory, not getting prepared to punt 
like it seems like we do anytime we run on third and long. Um, and we weren't expecting it. It was a great call. And just like that shovel pass that Scuzz talked about, the common theme was finding a way to get a guy in space. But again, this is all to say that was the only thing they were able to generate the entire game. And yeah, Adrian Martinez was hurt for a bunch of this game, um, but really not for the first three quarters. And he didn't do anything. And, you know, our, our defense was amazing. Patty led the way. That guy, you know, the guy that we were a little bit worried about, you know, showed up big time. Gaztown, a sack and three TFLs. Um, Bergen with two TFLs. It was a, a dominant performance by a group that for the second week in a row absolutely deserved a win. And, and the guy you mentioned, Cam Ruiz, uh, eight tackles, two TFLs. I mean, he had a great game. And he, this is a guy who's – you know, getting, you know, put into the, into the spotlight with, with Trey Williams injury and like he's stepping up much of the way he did last season. The, like there was a specific play. So going back to the Venrick Mark era, do you guys remember when we played Iowa and I believe it was Venrick's C, uh, junior year and Venrick busted a play up the middle for a massive gain and he, there was a big hole. He got through, and immediately it looked like he was gone. And Micah Hyde chased him down, yeah, like mm-hmm. 45. And I was like, Whoa. on the angle too, right? And I remember being like, oh my god, Micah Hyde is fast. So fast forward to when Wandell Robinson busted on that shovel pass, and Ruiz chased him down, and and the announcers were almost kind of like. Wandale's got no. I guess he's gonna get chased down, and it was like, <laughs> I'm. I just remember looking, being like, "Oh my god!" That was that speed we saw in the punt block against uh, against Notre, Notre Dame, Dame last. Yeah. He is Cam is a burner. Yeah, I should I retract my statement because that Wandale Robinson shovel pass was not the backbreaker. I mean, Nebraska missed their field goal on that drive. Eventually, it was the it was the deep pass to him. Um, Later in the game for what 32 yards or something that set up the field goal. But regardless, like he was, he was kind of the only player on Nebraska that, that really well, put up a fight. I mean, we, we more can, than we, half of their yards were on three plays to him. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so again, the point is defense was really good in this game. The defense has gotten better every game since that Michigan State game. Um, and the defense is going to be keeping us in games um, that, I mean, for the love of God, games that we should absolutely be winning. But uh, anyway, I, I, well, I feel but, good that we... Before, we... before we go into where we're going, I do want to you know, shout out Charlie Kubander. Um, yeah, he did miss that one field goal in the exact same direction as Nebraska missed their field goal. Apparently the wind was, was whipping, but I want to take some umbrage with the, uh, broadcasters who were rough. A lot, like they were rough, but like they were saying Northwestern has a massive kicking issue. And I, I take big umbrage with that because Charlie's missed that. That's the second kick he's missed all season into a howling wind that messed up Nebraska's kick. Charlie's been money for us this season. And it ain't, like, it ain't Charlie's it, fault we scored 10 points in this game. I, obviously, what they did is they looked at the box score from last week and saw that we went for two twice in, you know, kind of befuddling fashion. 
Um, although we've talked about how the math on that was at least sound, although some of the expectations were maybe not, but like, that's just, that's just, um, sloppy research. Like they were like, Oh, Northwestern went for two twice last week. They must have a kicking concern, which is, is just not fair. Um, they, they struggled on some other things. I think there's some, there are some misnomers on names and some misunderstandings of some, of some basics. Um, like, I'll be when, like when the, when the kicking team touches the ball, uh, it becomes a free play. The, the receiving team can grab the ball and try to advance as much as they can and without worrying about a fumble. Yeah, not really. Um, <laughs> no, cause that's the rule and they, the broadcasters had no clue that that was the rule. Yeah. Like I'm yeah, talking yeah. about the, when Lee's went back to, to grab it after in a weird play that he, you know, really shouldn't have, but because Nebraska had touched it, it was a no lose scenario for him. And like for about five minutes, the announcers were like, Oh no, that's terrible. And then finally, <laughs> finally Dean Blandino came and was like, um, actually, actually, um, well, the other, the other thing I wanted to focus on is, um, and I guess this is like a weird dichotomy for us. Uh, and I think it's maybe worth talking about is the dichotomy, the dichotomy between when we're watching a game and our desire for Northwestern to win that game and our, complete frustration with anything that happens to prevent Northwestern from, from winning that game. And the, I'll call it disassociation between elements that could win or lose the game and what's going on with the program overall and whether or not we deserve to win the game or not. And I'm specifically talking about that bullshit non-call on uh, the pick that Aiden Smith called that Aiden Smith threw at the end of the game. The, the two pass interference plays? Yes, it absolutely should have been a pass interference. It was egregious and obvious. Um, it's frankly ludicrous that the refs didn't see it. And it it's a play like just, that, which is why pass interference is now reviewable in the NFL. Yes. Um, you know, I'll, I'll shout out to Fitz, who said in the press game, post-game press conference, like, wouldn't it have been cool if I could have thrown a red flag on that, which I thought was nice. Um but the, the thing is, like, the way Northwestern played in this game, we did not deserve to win. And we're, we're about to go on another defensive or another offensive rant like, like we have the last two weeks. Um, but it is perfectly acceptable to believe that Northwestern did not deserve to win, that they shouldn't have let it come down to a play like that, that the offense was horrible and, um, that it's maybe the worst coached offense, worst coached offense in 20 years. That's perfectly acceptable. And to also believe that the refs stole a chance for Northwestern to win that game because, um, that was unconscionable. There's now there's no guarantee that Northwestern drives and, and kicks a field goal. But what is very, very clear is that Nebraska was given the opportunity to win that game in regulation, handed the opportunity to win that game in regulation on a egregious missed penalty call. So I, I agree. Here's. The one counter that I would say to that, and it's not even really a counter. It's just returning to the first part of what you said, which is, <laughs> which is the flip side is this Nebraska team is not a good football team. And we didn't think they were coming into this game. Oh. They didn't, they did nothing but prove the fact that they're not. They are now white knuckling the day to day injury status of Adrian Martinez. I'll tell you right like now. Like we knew they would going into this right, season at some point. And it's it's important that everyone understands now that this is a Nebraska team that still has to play Iowa, 
that still has to play Wisconsin, that goes on the road to Minnesota, that like goes on a, the road. An undefeated Minnesota? I mean. Right. That goes on the road to Minnesota, that goes on the road to Maryland, okay? And with a Adrian Martinez who either won't be playing or will just be continuing to get slower and less healthy, okay? Um, it ain't going to go good. It ain't going to go well for the Huskers coming down the line here. And, I mean, this – this was not Michigan State. This was not Wisconsin. This was a woeful offensive performance against a team that is not very good. And I totally agree. Like that play at the end, like we deserve to have that play go for us. But a competent offense in this game would have left this team in the dust. And it's, you know, one of the things you mentioned, the announcers, and I give – so on one hand, I give Brando credit, um, and on the other hand, I don't. Um, I give him credit in terms of it became clear very early on in this game that he had been made aware by who knows how many parties that Mick McCall was at the root of these problems. And given that, and given clearly people had come at him about this, he – you know, the flip side is he has to deal with the coaches. Like these announcers are all put in a tough spot. Like, what can he say? Like, it's all Mick McCall's fault. Clearly, that's what people were telling him. He went as far as announcers typically go in those situations. He called Mick McCall out by name and specifically said that the fan base was very much grumbling against him um, <laughs> on on those kind of things. Like you like. That's a long way for an announcer to go in a game like that. And he also made several other allusions to the struggles of the offense and it being a play calling situation. Um, it's just the announcer's kind of hamstrung. The part that really got me, and this isn't typical, this isn't specific to this crew, but it's specific to a lot of crews who parachute in and are going off of things that probably the coaches feed them. Um, game notes. I mean, John, you and I have both looked right, at game notes. Right. And it, and it leads you, it lead, it led them in this case to playing into a fallacy that is just at the core of all of the woes of our team this year, which was that Aiden Smith was somehow having some sort of success that was relative to his experience in the program relative to Hunter Johnson. Not only is that not true, the degree to which it's not true just sheds light on how ridiculous this whole charade has been the entire season, right? Hunter Johnson's been in the program one year. Aiden Smith's entering his fourth year in the program. And through all the time, this entire Nebraska game against a defense way worse than the two defenses in the, the previous two weeks, the best thing that we saw that you could maybe point to is that he's maybe a little bit more comfortable running the read option than Hunter is, slightly more comfortable. And I mean, it's almost a toss-up because the one thing Hunter did really well early on in this season was run the ball really well. And a lot of that was out of read option. Aiden's maybe a little bit better at making the read, but that's it. 
all of Aiden's notable success in the Nebraska game came on running read option and keeping the ball, which credit to him for doing that. Nebraska's run defense is horrible, but that's not Aiden Smith's fault. He did what he was supposed to do. But you have the let's be clear on that point. (laughs) The only team on our schedule that we can actually compare Nebraska's results against is UNLV. That's how bad Nebraska's run defense is. Exactly. Averaged five yards per carry on 11 rushes and scored a TD against UNLV. Right. Aiden Smith averaged four yards per carry and scored a TD on 16 rushes against Nebraska. Right. I mean, I and, think you're comparable because Nebraska's defense is a little bit better than UNLV. Um, similarly, Hunter Johnson, 12 of 25 for 165, an average of 6.6 with a TD and a pick. Aiden Smith, 19 of 32 for 136, an average of 4.3, no TDs and one pick. I mean, one of these players performed better against against the, the two worst defenses that Northwestern has seen this year. And that player was Hunter Johnson. No shade to Aiden Smith. No shade to Aiden Smith. But this notion that somehow he is a savior quarterback for our failed five-star transfer is ludicrous. Well, the, the big thing, too, is, again, no shade to Aiden Smith. I think Aiden Smith's a great quarterback, right? National seven on – like. Here's the here's the big point that we're trying to make here, right? It's at the beginning of the season, we were fed some magic beans about, well, you know, the big difference, TJ Green's more comfortable in the offense. Um, he's got that experience. Hunter's got the raw talent, but he's really raw and inexperienced and everything. Um, well, uh, guess well what? hold on, hold on. We we were offered some magic beans and offered, some of us chose to, to – knock those beans on the floor and spit on and spit on them and say, how dare you, sir? Yeah, right. True. Exactly. Um, and, but now you've got Aiden and now, you know what? Here's Aiden Smith. Again, he's entering his fourth year in the program and guess what? We're running the exact same offense with him that we were running with Hunter. And if anything, not only were the announcers wrong in terms of talking about the, you know, the additional capabilities that Aiden Smith potentially gives you. If anything, the offense is slightly more stripped down because the one thing we occasionally every blue moon run with Hunter is the sprint pass to the left or the right, which, by the way, he's fantastic at. Again, this isn't to differentiate between Hunter Johnson and Aiden Smith. I think they're both good quarterbacks. Again, Aiden was a national seven on seven, uh, seven on seven man champion. In high school, um, the point is this offense, it should be clear to everybody now. We've seen three quarterbacks. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is in this offense. It's a garbage offense that backs the bus over quarterbacks. Um, and it just it puts them in a position to fail. And we're such a damaged fan base now that we're getting excited when like a four year veteran is running read option effectively. Uh, because that's how starved we are to see something from this offense. I want I want to shout out Inside and You and Joe Weinberg wrote a piece today uh, giving eight stats that tell the full story of the Northwestern <laughs> offense. Uh, number one, points per game. Northwestern is ranked 129th out of 130 uh, with 14.4 points points per game, uh, second to last in the country behind Rutgers at 14.2. Uh, on the season, we have six points off turnovers. That's right. Eight turnovers cost, caused by our defense. We have a grand total of six points all season. Uh, we've already talked about the uh, S&P Plus offense, 125th out of 130th. Uh, yards per game. 
Northwestern, 293 yards per game. That is 126th out of 130. Uh, total passing offense, uh, 140.4 yards per game. That is 121st out of 130. Uh, far worse than the conference. Illinois is, uh, 13th in the conference at 190.6. That's right. 50 yards per game worse than Illinois in the air. Passing touchdowns, 127th out of 130. Army, Navy, and Air Force all have more passing touchdowns than Northwestern this year. That's right. Army, Navy, and Air Force all more passing touchdowns than Northwestern. Uh, completion percentage, 127th out of 130. Um, below 50% on the year, uh, which is, is alarming considering how few pass, how few deep passes we, uh, we throw. And then yards per attempt, uh, cause I, I know this is kind of one of your favorite stats. Uh, Northwestern, yards per attempt, 4.3 yards per attempt. Uh, that is not the worst in the country. That is not just the worst in the country. It's the worst mark, uh, by any team since New Mexico State's 4.2 yards per, yards per attempt in 2009. So here's the thing. I want to I want to tease Scuzz up for this because Scuzz was talking about this before we went on the pod. A big part of this is the mess that is the Northwestern RPO system right now. And I you know, I know I I want to hear Scuzz talk about this because again, I think it's it's just like the we've taken something that in theory should be helpful and just kind of wrecked it. Oh, it's a it's a disaster on multiple fronts right now. So even even before we get to the RPO piece, I wanna I wanna highlight something else I I, I just started to feel on Saturday, and I've I've gone back and kind of dug in in my own records and and kind of confirmed. So I I believe right now part of the reason that this is the worst Mick McCall offense that we've ever seen is that three of the worst aspects of past miss past Mick McCall offenses are all manifesting simultaneously. So one of those, an issue that has never really gone away from the McCall offense is the, just the weird play calling, super conservative play calls on third and longs, um, just, you know, we, garbage formations on um, third and fourth and shorts. Uh, I, this has been an issue that, that the fan base has been yelling about for years, and it's never really solved itself, except with, with the one exception of when Clayton Thorson was money in one yard situations, right? But there's two other major components, and, and they're related to this RPO issue that you brought up, John. One is just a complete lack of trust in the quarterback. And we've been talking about this since week one this year, that like McCall just does not trust Hunter. And, John, you've been you've been documenting some issues with, you know, the, the uh, us, us being unwilling to let him attempt passes after he's thrown an incompletion. For me, it is super reminiscent of when uh, – of, of 2013, where we basically – stopped letting Coulter throw the ball. And then we we put Simeon back there. And basically, as soon as he made a mistake, we would shut him down and just run the ball seven times in a row. This happened in Thorson's freshman year as well. Um, there's just a complete lack of trust of the QB right now. What makes it even worse is, to me, is the third thing. And, and I, I charted... Northwestern's passing um, pretty explicitly and in a very detailed fashion in 2013 and 2014 and saw a pretty pretty stark pattern when Northwestern would throw the ball to the middle of the field like that was almost like the fuel for our offensive engine because it forced defenses to pay attention to certain things and allowed us to move the ball and create running lanes on the outside etc 
when we don't do that, when we throw everything to the flats, and that's the only place we're throwing the ball right now, right? Is is wide receiver like step backs, like almost screens to the outside. We throw the little out route. We throw little curls to the outside. Everything is outside the numbers. When you do that, the defense, the corners can start to creep up. The safeties can start to creep up. The defense only has to defend like the first five yards after the line of scrimmage. And that's what we've seen for effectively three games now. If you don't adjust and start throwing the slant and throwing the wheel route and throwing the deep ball, defenses just suffocate you throughout the course of the game. There's nothing you can do. It's like with our RPO game. And this is, this is, it's weird because we were super excited about what we saw against UNLV because Northwestern didn't do that. They started with the RPO. They started, you know, Hunter was doing a great job keeping the ball, handing it off, holding it and throwing it. And then as the UNLD, UNLV defense started to adjust, he started to attack them. He attacked them downfield. He threw a 50 yard bomb to, to McGowan. We saw great, great things coming out of this RPO game. Since then, it's been like the RPO underpants notes. Phase one, throw the flat. Phase three, points we're missing the goddamn phases two two and a half and two and three quarters of the rpo game which is once the defense comes down to shut down your flat throw then you throw a slant or then you throw a a deep ball or then you throw a, a wheel route you have to attack them after they adjust to what you're doing in the start it's it's ludicrous it's like we don't understand it's like we're running this rpo concept and we don't even understand how it works yeah, exactly. And th- and the thing is too, right? It's like if you're running if your idea of an RPO is part of the RPO, like the throw option is something 2 yards over the line of scrimmage, like that's not that's not going to work. Like I I'm picturing Joe Bacci covering three guys on one RPO that we ran in the Michigan State game. But the flip side is if your RPO game is super shallow, and it's not working. The solution isn't to run. That's where they are already. <laughs> they're, they're all five yards from the line of scrimmage. I went to the you know I went to the UFC uh, Central Florida Cincinnati game on on Friday night, the night before Nebraska, right? And you see, both of these teams basically run the same offense. They run an RPO focused offense that starts by throwing to the outside receiver. If there are defenders clogging the middle and, st- and clogging the running lanes, they fake the handoff, the QB starts to run, reads the defense, and then decides, do I throw it to the receiver at the boundary, who's maybe one or two yards off the line of scrimmage, or do I keep it and run? And both those offenses pretty quickly start throwing that to that receiver. And the defense adjusts and starts to come down and cover that receiver pretty tightly. You know what University of Cincinnati did? They'd fake a running, uh, they'd fake a handoff to the running back, wait for the linebacker to step up and pop pass over that linebacker to the running back. Works pretty nicely when you would catch it. You know what else they would do? Because those safeties are, are tracking to the outside to cover those receivers and those, uh, in, in, in those kind of screen spots, they would do a pop pass to the tight end fake to the running back tight end releases off a block and starts running upfield into like wide open space and they drop over the top to him works pretty damn well then they start to identify the opportunity where their receivers can make a double move and go to the outside and get in between that safety and, and corner both of these offenses i watched them over and over on friday night doing this exact same thing 
And then I watched Northwestern do the first phase of that and nothing else all day on Saturday. <laughs> it's infuriating. I'm just it's it's like it's like the same thing. It's like if you with another Northwestern fan have had an argument of to RPO or not to RPO at some point this season, you should lump that right in with that whole to go for two or not go to for two argument that we were all having a couple weeks ago. Like it doesn't like the key thing isn't the thing. It's the way we do that thing. Yeah. And it's like, I'm almost like all these so-called analytics people, supposed analytics people that all, all of a sudden out of the blue are in Fitz's ear, um, which, you know, I, I don't exactly subscribe to that. I'm just picturing after the game, he's like, all right, so what does analytics have for me? And they're like, you mean for your team or like <laughs> in general? Uh, because so like, because I, I, I just have a hard time believing that there's any kind of analytics person who's not being like, for the love of God, your solution is to throw the ball. So here's what Scuzz was alluding to before. Um, this came out of initially just I started tracking our second down play calls in the Nebraska game because it was getting so ridiculous. Um, we began to Scuzz's aforementioned point. Uh, first, second down play of the game was a two-yard flat pass to Drake. Um, followed by a run for no yards, followed by a run for one yard, followed by a run for one yard, followed by a run for no gain. Then Aiden got 11 on an option keeper. And my response to that was, I don't understand why Nebraska didn't have 11 guys in the box for that play. Why, based on everything they've seen so far, would they think we were throwing then? And then after that, the next three second down plays we ran on those three plays and of and no i'm sorry yeah the next three we ran then aiden was allowed to throw two passes one of which was incomplete one of which was a six yard pass and then we ran two more times that was that was all of our second downs in the first half it doesn't get any more formulaic well based on that and based on the same thing that scuzz alluded to earlier I decided to go back and take a look, right? Because one of the problems, and Scuzz talked about it, goes back to the Simeon Coulter era and the idea of keeping a quarterback ice cold and, and using the two quarterback system instead of a balance to manifest lack of faith in either guy. Well, you can do that just fine with one guy too. And we have found a way to do that. Basically, here's what I looked at. This entire season, how many times has a quarterback thrown an incomplete pass and then been allowed to attempt a pass on the next play? Because nothing demonstrates simple faith in your quarterback, like saying, hey, you know what? You're throwing this series. We're going to let you go. We have faith in you. And you know what? It's not going to be just like flat passes or like dumps to a super back or something like that. You're going to run the offense. Don't worry. You're good. You throw an incomplete pass. We've got something for you in the next play. We'll run a little play action, but we're gonna we're gonna try to get you going here, okay? And how many times that's happened? You know how many times that's happened this season? Fourteen times in five games. Seven of those were drives to end a half or end the game. So those are times the defense is expecting desperation and you trying to throw the ball. That leaves a grand total of seven times in a situation where the defense wasn't completely expecting it. 
where our quarterback was given the freedom to throw a pass on either first or second down and then throw an incomplete pass and given the chance to throw again. You can subdivide it again. You know how many times total like this? I mean, this boggles my mind because it's like talk about basic faith in your quarterback. How many times this season our quarterback has come out on first down, thrown an incomplete pass and then been allowed to throw on second down seven times and half of those were in desperation situations. Um, and the hilarious thing in the first two and a half games, uh, one quarterback was allowed to do it one time. And if you even have to guess who it is, you shouldn't have to. But obviously it was TJ Green. Hunter Johnson. It weren't, <laughs> it weren't Hunter Johnson. Um, it's so funny too. If you look at the times Hunter's been allowed at any point to throw another pass after he threw an incomplete pass, one is the first drive of the season, which ended in the Berkeley Holman interference interception. Um, then he was allowed once more to do it in the Stanford game. Um, it was an incomplete pass. He was allowed to attempt another pass. He was forced out and was called for intentional grounding. Except, you know what? That same drive, he had two passes for a combined 30 yards. And had been moving the ball, throwing the that, throwing the ball against Michigan State. It gets even more crazy. The only he was allowed to do it three times in the Michigan State game. The first was his great drive to end the first quarter, where at one point he completed four consecutive passes, and then the drive suddenly flatlined when we started running the ball. Um, and that was where, you know, Fitz basically threw him under the bus after the game and was like, well, we had all these plays that could have been passes, but were runs. And now we know, I mean, that's because this offense is a mess and he should have just had the freedom to continue to throw the ball. Um, and that should have been given to him from the booth, uh, in, in terms of showing faith in your quarterback. But here's another one that should be reexamined, especially. We all remember that interception that was thrown at the end of the first half that Hunter threw at the end of the first half of Michigan state and Michigan state scored a touchdown after that. And that was made a big difference in the game. Here's the dirty secret about that. We started that drive at our own 17 and we made it to the Michigan state 42. Why? Because Hunter was throwing the ball and was dealing. We got all the way to the Michigan state 42 and then we had a holding call and then it was first and 20 and he tried to force it three plays in a row to get us out of the first and 20 and he couldn't do it. And he effectively threw a crappy arm punt on third down that was intercepted. Michigan State was 62 yards away from the end zone at the point they intercepted that pass. And none of us would have remembered it if our defense wouldn't have let them go down the field in about the end like pretty much the last time they did that this season and let Michigan State go down the field and score. The third time was in the third quarter. Hunter threw an incomplete pass, was allowed to throw another pass. Guess what? He completed a five-yard pass to Riley Lees. Did Hunter get any more chances? No, because the next series, he was benched for Aiden Smith. I mean, 
the stuff really writes itself. I can't even it's it's so ridiculous. Another one that's really important to look at in the Wisconsin game. It's really important to remember how much of a mess the drive on which Hunter was first hurt was and how much it affected the game. Hunter had engineered a drive all the way into Wisconsin territory by throwing the ball in the third quarter. We were down 14 at the time, and he was really moving the ball. The play he was hurt on was what, to this point, the fourth time in the season he'd been allowed to throw an incomplete pass and attempt a pass on the next play. And you know what? He completed a 10-yard pass to Riley Lees to push us even deeper into Wisconsin territory, but he got hurt on that play. And then Aiden came in. And you know what's crazy about that? We had to keep throwing with him because it had been so effective on that drive up to this point. And poor Aiden wasn't ready for it, and he threw a pick six. And that turned into a 21-point deficit. If Hunter doesn't get hurt, we are really moving the ball by, guess what, throwing against Wisconsin, and there's a chance we get into the end zone. From that point on, you've got poor Aiden. He's He's been allowed to do it at the end of the fourth quarter of the Wisconsin game when it's basically garbage time the end of the first half against Nebraska, and the end of the fourth quarter against Nebraska. And it's just like, the, the takeaway from all this is, if you look at the incredibly small sample size of times that any Northwestern quarterback of the three has been allowed the freedom to throw without pressure of having the ball taken out of his hands, in a situation where we didn't already have to throw, we move the ball. But you know what? We never, ever do this. It's exactly what we did to Thorson his freshman year. It's exactly what we did to Simeon his couple of years. It's exactly what we did to Coulter. The moment they made a mistake, we pulled back on the reins. So I'm curious, like, how, like do you guys think, um, so conspiracy theory time, Scuzz is putting on his conspiracy theory hat, tinfoil hat. Um, I mean, we believe Hunter was actually, you know, banged up for this game, right? Like this isn't a. Yeah, no, I, I, I would, I would say he was, he was probably hurt. I mean, is it a little fishy that he wasn't on the injury report? Sure. Um, Am I going to like, you know, hold that as evidence that he wasn't hurt? Not at all. I mean, if, if he, if he wasn't right, then there's no reason to to throw him out there because like what what's he what's gonna happen? He's gonna get hurt even more, and, and, and you just yeah. can't do that. Yeah, I yeah. I I mean, again though, either way, it's just it's so funny because I, you know, because we like we said we talked about earlier about the fact that Aiden Smith should not be getting credit for playing better than Hunter Johnson in any way because it's just a fallacy. I like Aiden Smith a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I have and I have to say all of this whole fiasco is making me reevaluate a little bit. Like I've I'm a guy who spent the past 2 years wondering why a guy who was a national 7 man, uh 7 on 7 football champ was not our backup quarterback. And I just think this offense hamstrings, it's like 
TJ Green was just like, yeah, I've got the confidence and I'm happy to just run it and I'll make it happen. And I just feel like you've got these other guys being like, what is this? Like what? Like it's like do not believe that the problem is that our former national seven on seven champion quarterback and our former number one create like rated quarterback in the country are both just suddenly not good at being quarterback anymore. Like that's not what's happening here. They're not being given any chance. And it's, it's just like discuss point too. It's like you have to throw, you have to throw when they're not expecting you to throw. You have to have certain series where you just throw, throw, throw. If for no other reason than just to give your quarterback the taste of doing that, you have to vary the routes. You have to go downfield, whether it works or not, just to do it. Um, and we seem to have no desire to do any of that. And again, it's like, I, I feel like this is, this is going to become a broken record. It already has become a broken record. But again, it's like, if, you know, Sam, you made the point earlier that, that let's just, let's just say not all high profile coaches coaching Midwest football teams, uh, are, are operating with the same length of leash relative to their offensive coordinator. Yeah, and I do, I do want to go down there, but Scuzz, were you, were you done with your conspiracy theory there, or was there more to it? No, that was it. I mean, okay. I, like, I guess, I guess the second half of it is, is who do we think is going to start against Ohio State? Hunter. I, I, I mean, I, I would have had to imagine, cause, yeah. But, um, but yeah. I, you know, I guess there's just one other comment I want to make and dovetail on, on what John is talking about. And I think over, over the last eight years, there's been, you know, these moments where the fan base wells up and is like, Oh, I can't, you know, Hunter Johnson is a bust and we've got to move on. Or, or I, you know, there was certainly talk. <laughs> I remember people talking about, uh, benching Thorson at certain points, um, when he was struggling in his career. And I just, I just want to, I just want to recenter people on the fact that like, I, I don't know that we can even effectively evaluate these QBs in that manner because the, the, the play calling is one piece of it and people get all fired up about why aren't we calling deep passes? Why aren't we calling deep passes? I mean, you know, what, whether or not there's a deep route option on a play is one thing, right? If there's, if there's nobody even running down the field, that is certainly on the offensive coordinator at the same time. If the quarterback is not comfortable throwing the ball down the field for one reason or another, that comes back to coaching. And I, I feel like we are, I feel like this staff, and I'm going to say this staff because I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's all McCall, if it's partially McCall, if it's just, you know, Fitz's general conservatism that's, that's bleeding over a little bit, like whatever the breakdown is, 80% of this or 20% of that or 30% of this. It seems like we coach it out of these guys to be willing to throw the ball down the field. And you heard, you heard Aiden in the, in the post game conference talking about, you know, yeah, I felt, you know, I felt good about the decisions I make and I've just got to be confident in the right spots. And just, it continues to feel like, like Thorson getting drafted and Trevor's experience in the NFL notwithstanding. We don't seem to be coaching these guys to do what successful quarterbacks in college football are doing. We seem what? to be coaching it out of them almost to minimize turnover turnovers, to limit the potential of, of, of whatever to get in the way of our defensive, 
you know, ball control style of offense. But I, I don't understand why it ha- why it has to be separate. Like, why can't yes. why can't you so have that- like a stellar defense like we do, and also have a dynamic, interesting offense? Like, there's Al- Alabama will tell you you can have both. Clemson here's will tell you you can have both. One hundred percent. So here's, I mean, and you know, the, and this is something that has worried me. And it continues to worry. You know who ought to be wondering that? Hunter Johnson. Two weeks ago, Purdue played Minnesota. And shortly into that game, Elijah Sindelar got hurt. And then the backup came in. The backup in this case was Jack Plummer. But the no backup. No relation to Jake Plummer. No relation no, no. to Jake. <laughs> the backup would have been Hunter Johnson. That was Hunter's other choice. Jack Plummer came in and attempted 41 passes in that game. 245 yards, two TDs, two interceptions, but they let the kid throw all day. The fact that Sindelar was the guy and then he got hurt and then the backup came in. Again, a backup who would have been below Hunter Johnson on the Purdue depth chart. Real talk. Hunter Johnson would have challenged Sindelar for that starting role. That was what everyone was expecting at the time Hunter was making that decision. Um, Hunter would at very least have been the backup. And then he would have come in, and they would have given him 41 chances to throw the ball. And whether or not he was completing those passes would not have mattered. They were just going to – they would have just let him throw. and. It just, I see a guy like that sitting and he's sitting and he's being like, that's what I could have had. Um, that's, you know, the faith that could have been given to me. And instead I'm saddled in a situation to Sam, to your point earlier, um, the question of who's going to start the next game. I just like, do I think it's Hunter? Yeah. But I think it's Hunter coming in being like, I'm going to get no chances to throw. And when I do, I have a hundred percent need to throw a complete pass on that throw or I won't get to throw anymore. Um, that's the situation. And I, it just, I feel like that kid is sitting and, and right now and looking at what he could have chosen. And boy, I mean, again, it's just one more consideration on top of everything else that needs to be taken into account when we're, you know, determining, uh, when let's say Jim Phillips, is determining just how long he's going to allow this train to go down the tracks. Um, that, you know, it's one more consideration in terms of guys who I'm sure still would have the opportunity to make their bones elsewhere, um, are making those considerations. I mean, it's Hunter needs to play and Hunter needs to be given the chance to play the way he's, you know, the way any normal offense would allow him to. So this is a question that I brought up to you guys uh, during the week, and you know I'd, I'd be interested to hear your your thoughts on this. Um, you know, obviously, I mean, it's clear that McCall has to not be the offensive coordinator anymore. Um, there, there's you know, a lot of chatter though. It's like you know he's he's good at recruiting. So are you going to alienate? He, like, well, I don't know. I mean. He- that that that's another question, but like I, I definitely saw some concern that if you fire McCall, then all of a sudden you're going to lose uh, the kid Atkinson out of out of Boulder. Um, you know, the just other other shoes may drop, and you might lose some of the guys off the team. So, what if 
you promoted McCall. Promote him into irrelevancy. Um, <laughs> Dude, Sam, Sam, if you say it, it makes it that much harder to do it. Promote him into even more relevance <laughs> as an associate head coach. That's what you mean, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> I'll, take, I'll take anything at this point. Like, here's, here's the deal. Like, that's, that's such a false equivalence, um, to be saying, Oh my gosh, we're like, he recruited this kid. We might lose this kid. That might kid look at our offense and be like, mm, no, I don't want to play in that system. Right? Like if I'm Aiden Atkinson and I'm watching Northwestern on Saturday, I'm thinking, yeah, don't let, yeah, like he comes on as a, yeah, he comes on as official. Don't let him talk to Hunter. Yeah. Right. I mean, now I like, now here's, here's the thing. We know for a fact that part of the reason Hunter picked Northwestern was, was because, because Clayton of Thorson. No, it was Clayton, well, Clayton so Thorson. Thorson. Okay. Talk to him. Talked to him a ton about his development as a QB and how the how the program invested in him and thought about him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it's very possible that could still be coming down the road because McCall has been extremely hesitant with young QBs or QBs that can't seem to run his, you know, the the way he insists on running his offense. But like step out of all of that. As, as Northwestern, the entity, as Northwestern, the program, as Northwestern, the fan, like, why the, do you want that to be the, 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 the situation around your program? Why don't you want an offensive coordinator who can be more, more dynamic and can, and can think more of an, on his feet? And, and John, it just goes back to what you, what you called out last week. And when you look at the landscape of other offensive coordinators in the Big Ten or the SEC, it's not about age. It's about what have you had to do to retain your position and every other coach with a career, as long as Mick McCall's has had to lose a job and go back and learn the new stuff and prove their worth and come back into the power five and say, look, I know how to operate in this world. Now you've evolved and I've evolved with you. And Mick has never faced that. And here's something else though. That's interesting. And John, you were alluding to this uh, before, but you've got a situation at Kansas where Les Miles, at week six of his tenure at Kansas, has let go his offensive coordinator and to bring in a hotshot D2 coach to come in and, and make that offense even more interesting and dynamic. Six weeks and Les Miles is making changes. So something he was never willing to do in L- at LSU, right. by the way. No, it's true. Yeah. Lessons, lessons learned. Here's another thing too. And and again, it's like you alluded to it earlier, but um, let's just say without me asking you guys, based on interviews, things we saw, things we um, read, heard, who would you say the single most excited Northwestern football player was coming into this season? The guy who, Seem to be based on interviews. Seem to be the most jazzed up, the most psyched. Patty. Patty. I'm thinking of Jared, Jared Thomas. I'm thinking Jared Thomas. Yeah, that, that, and, was, that was my other guess. And again, my intention here is not to throw Adam Cushing under the bus, but it's been clear to everybody that Kurt Anderson came in and he put a jolt into the group and he got them hungry, etc. And I mean. The flip side of, okay, so like you lose your hooks in a guy like Aiden Atkinson, maybe 
But maybe you also totally rejuvenate a Hunter Johnson who has two years of eligibility left in this program uh, beyond this season and is suddenly like, oh, OK, I've got like this I can work with, et cetera. Um, and, you know, while we're going at it, Aiden Smith has another year of eligibility left in this program also. And, you know, I'm still I went so far as two weeks ago to actually look up you know, like the name of Aiden Smith's seven on seven coach, just to be like, can we like ring this guy up? Is he available? Short <laughs> notice. How, how's, how's his play calling? Can we take a look well, at that playbook? Um, well, here, you know, here, here, here's a solid comparison, right? So we were, this is interesting now because in, in, in retrospect, like this doesn't look quite as pretty, but um, when coach Carmody was fired or not renewed, whatever you want to call it. Um, and Northwestern brought in, Chris Collins, we lost Jaron Cena, who was a really high-end for us uh, guard recruit. He decommitted and went to Seton Hall and had a pretty decent career there. And at the time, we were all like, oh, man. Did, didn't stings. he go to the tournament like, like right away? I think so. Maybe as a freshman, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, is that th- there is there is no doubt that Vic Law was a much better basketball recruit and player than Jaron Cena. Brian McIntosh and Scott Lindsay. And and like the reality is, is that without Collins, you don't get those other guys. And that's, that's the reality. Like you can't, you can't count, you can't make your coaching decisions based on the, the potential of the recruits, recruits that haven't even stepped on campus yet. It's just not a viable way to, 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 to analyze it. Oh, sigh. I, again, it's like the, all of these things are true. And there really is, again, it's like the fact that Aiden Smith and Hunter Johnson seem to have the same problems in the offense. I, again, I don't take it as an indictment against either of these guys. I just, to me, I spent so many weeks, and it's funny, so many people have talked about, you know, I didn't expect the whole Ferrari thing to have so much, so much, uh, <laughs> to have such legs at the time that I said it. It just seemed something logical, cause like Hunter is a Ferrari in so many ways in terms of the way he can run and the way he can throw, et cetera. Um, but it's one of those things, it's like there was that, like we mentioned on the pod a couple weeks ago, that like rating of like one through 23 transfer quarterbacks and Hunter sitting there at 23 and just being like, do you really think that guy is the worst of all of them? And now seeing Aiden Smith He's really run. really worse than, Brian, than um, Brian Peters. Right. And now you see Aiden Smith jumping through the exact same hoops and being hamstrung in the exact same way. And in a in a weird way, even though they're not opposites in the way Coulter and Simeon are, they're basically being played off against each other in kind of like the same way, unless Hunter is really given the freedom to throw the ball. I mean, I, again, it's one of those things where it's like, let, let's put it this way. In two weeks, and we're going to get into this a lot more next week, but in two weeks, the hellfire is going to be raining down on us in Evanston. I mean – the hurricane is slowly making its way across the Midwest toward us. Don't, like, don't, don't worry, John. By that time, I will have convinced myself that we'll that we'll be able to contend in that game because because we always do against Ohio State. I know. I'm uh, just like at home, I'm, but like, yeah, your point is well taken. Like, screw it. Throw fifty times. Who cares? <laughs> like, oh, I, like 
Ohio State's going to roll in. I mean, my God, that team, what they're bringing to Evanston. I mean, why not? I mean, it's it's just so funny. Let's say the week after you have a game against an Iowa team that is just going to take the run away from us. Just that's going to happen. Hate to spoil it three weeks in advance. Um, and it's just like one of those things where it's like, ugh. And then the Nebraska, the whole last five games of our season, is against teams that, just like Nebraska, are easy to move the ball on if you do anything other than run the same play on every second down, for example. <laughs> um, but who, who like, would do that, John? Oh, God. I'm, it's one of those things. I mean, we're all going to be tracking it through the pod and all of you listening, but if this thing doesn't fix itself – I mean, it's so funny. Anytime we talk about other teams in this way, we're always like – Boy, the way things have gone, heading into the bye week, are they going to make a change? But it's like when it's talking about Northwestern, none of us even remotely consider that. When, of course, a bye week would be the right time to make a shift. Um, but, you it's, know, when it's it's 11.24 p.m. on the East Coast on Monday. Right. Uh, and and it, it, uh, if it hasn't happened yet, it's not going to. Probably not. I mean, I think I think if we haven't heard by 10 a.m. tomorrow, it doesn't fits usually do a press conference on Tuesday mornings. It's usually right. Monday. Yeah, but because, but because of the bye week, I, I you know I, I was I was looking for a press conference today. I didn't see one. Well, uh, then consider this a reverse jinx. We will never ever do it on a ever. bye week. Never, never in a million years. Never in a million years make a change in our bye week. Um, but again, it's if if it doesn't happen and it continues not to happen and this continues to play out this way, I mean. You know, we can only hammer on the why for so long and eventually it, it has to, it has to transition into the how. And I think the longer this goes, the more we as a Northwestern fan base and all of you listening are going to kind of have to come together and make some hard decisions about how we are going to make this happen. Um, I don't think we're quite there yet, but if this continues to happen and if, if Phillips, you know, does not insert himself in this conversation at some point. Um, those are discussions that are going to have to be had. And, you know, we, yes. we, we've talked about this, and I, I do want to move on from this because, um, you know, we do have a few other things to get to tonight. But, you know, we talked about this a few years back when the offense was doing exactly what it's doing now, but maybe not it's quite as bad. But, you know, the defense was playing well enough and we were just getting enough to to win. And then we went to a couple bowl games and then it's like, well, you can't fire a coach after a 10 and two season. Um, You know, does this have to be that sacrificial lamb of a season for, for changes finally to get made? I sure hope not because, you know, the season's not over, but uh boy, it, it sure looks like it's going, it's getting closer and closer to be going down that road. Well, it is, it is. I mean, Look, Fitz is a throwback coach in many ways, and and in many of those ways we like him. Um, and this is one of the ways we don't. And and that 2014 year, if if reports are are to be believed, and I think it was Teddy Greenstein who reported this at the time, but Jim Phillips kind of openly after that season said, if if improvement is not seen, more pressure will be applied and change will have to be made. I don't know if he said it in so many words, but the implication was clear that if in 2015 we didn't see improvement from Northwestern's offense, that the administration was going to come down with a bit more force uh, on fits to make a change. And then we went 10 and three that year with a horrific offense and an incredible defense. Um, 
And your point, Sammy, is spot on. Like, like it's hard to justify changes after that kind of year at Northwestern because this sort of stuff does happen in other places. And I think that's, you know, this school and this, and this athletic department and this football staff need to think about like, yeah, they've got something special and they've got something different and that's important. And it's meaningful to us as fans and as alums. I think we believe in the idea that these guys are here for more than just playing on Saturdays during their, you know, three to four years on campus that they, that it should be about more than that. But, but there's a, there's a desire from this school in the satellite department to make money. Look at the ticket prices. Look what's changed. Look at fits, you know, kind of, kind of poking the fans saying, why aren't you here on Saturdays? There's, there's a side of this that, that says you do want to be a big time football program. You do want to be a big time athletic school and you do want to drive you know, revenue for your school and eyeballs for your school, et cetera, act accordingly. So here's, so here, here's the w- one thought that I, that just popped into my head and I, I do want to move on. I do want to recap the, the rest of last week and kind of preview this upcoming week. But you know, what, what's the last major athletic program, like the athletic developmental program that it still needs to happen. I mean, we've had the, the on-campus facility. We had the rebuilding of Welsh Ryan arena, you know, and everyone seems to believe that like a massive Ryan Field renovation is is coming. Yeah, it's coming. I I wonder how much behind the scenes, <clears throat> how many of these machinations by the major donors, the, the people who are going to be footing the bill for this, you know, how many of these guys are saying if a change isn't made, then maybe we don't donate. Maybe this this new facility, maybe this new re- renovation doesn't happen the way you guys want it to happen. I, like that's the kind of pressure that would lead to changes. Like if it's not going to happen because of on the field, you know, reasons, which clearly as we've been talking about for the past hour, it should, how much, like how much of that, like, you know, follow the money. <clears throat> how, like if, if the, it's, if, if the donations start to dry up because, you know, people aren't excited about this team, you're not going to get a new stadium. You're not going to get this new renovation that we all know is, is coming down the pike. It's so obvious right now. It should never even get to that point. It shouldn't, but it seems like it's going to. I mean, go bet those eight stats you cited, Sammy. We're, we're in the bottom, the bottom five in every offensive category. Not yeah. in the Big Ten, not in the FBS, or not in, not in the Big Ten, not in the Power Five, in the whole goddamn FBS. I'll say, too, that whether it be, you know, the folks at Inside NU or Ella Brockway um, or any number of, you know, people who journalists, former Northwestern people who are out in the journalism world, right? Now, like people have been pretty unified in like identifying what the problems are in terms of it being our offense, in terms of it being Mick McCall. This is not a fan base that is misled. I mean, it's funny, like. I, you know, on the rivals boards, people are going back and forth. I know a couple of people are like dug into the anti McCall camp, but I mean, real talk, like that's a vocal extreme minority. Like it's like by and large, people understand this is a Mick McCall situation and we have a lot of really talented, bright people still at Northwestern in journalism and beyond Northwestern in journalism who have shined a light on that. And I think because of that, and and just because of all of you guys' own aptitude, like everyone clearly understands what the problem is. And all of the people who would be, you know, big donors and 
smaller individual donors who would be withholding that money um, are all, I'm sure, communicating to Jim Phillips to the extent that they are able exactly what they believe the problem to be. And I think, you know, it's it's a situation where everybody except the guy who's immediately in control of making it happen understands what needs to happen. So it, it does kind of feel like this is a time situation. I mean, I I, I would imagine like it's happened so many times in a row that there will be a chance given to dig out of this hole. And if we somehow are able to salvage a bowl out of this somehow, because we've seen it happen before, Mick McCall will lift to fight another day. But, um, I mean, the Ohio state team and the Iowa team coming down the pike are going to render that close to impossible. And to Sam, to Sam's point earlier, this may find, you know, this may be that sacrificial lamb that it takes in, in the interest of providing an opportunity for transition. Uh, I'm going to be funny and suggest that, um, this is all Lovey Smith's fault for operating the bears in much the same way for many, many years and almost winning a super bowl with all defense and no offense. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 it's not just a damaged Northwestern football fan base. It's the entire Chicago football fan base. So true. It's so true. Speaking of lovey. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's, let's t- yeah, go back uh, over the rest of the big 10 uh, this past week. Um, you know, you, you brought it up because uh, Illinois losing to Minnesota 40 to 17. Um, yeah. I mean, like Minnesota is five and zero, oh, and I, I, hate, I hate them so much. I, yes. Um, uh, it's they, they've. This is the first game that they haven't won by the skin of their teeth, and they're going to be eight zero until they play an opponent with a backbone. And it's um, man, it's going to be hard to stomach if if they if they win the Big Ten West. I don't think it's possible, but man, it, I am. It's going to be more crow than I'm prepared to eat. Uh, Maryland forty eight, Rutgers seven. Yep. Okay. That game a game that tells us absolutely nothing. Again, it's Tracked. like. You saw what Michigan did to Rutgers, and then you saw what Michigan did to Iowa. So yeah, yeah. Michigan beats Iowa ten to three. Um, boy, Fox had to have been loving that six hours of six seven hours of programming from noon to six. I mean, the Michigan Iowa game, then us in Nebraska. Boy, you know people were flipping the channels away from that. You know, in a hurry. The you know the the funny thing about that game. Iowa clearly had the better offense in that game. Um, it was it was clear and apparent. Michigan's defense was just unbelievable. Like that defense, this was by far their best performance of the year. I mean, obviously, they held Iowa to three points, but Michigan's defense has had some issues. I mean, Scuzz outlined the extent to which they were taking and blowing big chances against Wisconsin. They're a young group that is really rounding into form now. Um, the flip side is, I mean, God, I mean, I, I actually texted you guys during that game, the similarities between us and Michigan. Michigan's offense can't get out of its own way right now. Um, their, their play calling and strategy is, is garbled and, and Shea Patterson just looks like a mess. Um, this is a guy that routinely put up big, 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 big numbers at, at, uh, Missouri or at uh, Mississippi against frankly better defenses than Michigan is facing and frankly with less talent around him and um yeah they don't look great um and and wait, like between, the, yeah go ahead 
Oh, but between those two games, Michigan, Iowa, and and us, Nebraska, um, thirty six points. I I bet that's on un- that's under the under for either one of those games individually. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, that's crazy. Uh, so you had Penn State thirty five, Purdue seven. Um, God, you feel bad for Purdue, but uh, Penn State. I- they're they're looking tough. I mean, they're ranked number twelve now, and the fact that they're twelfth and Wisconsin's eighth, Penn State is noticeably better than Wisconsin is right now. I I I, I will reserve judgment till Penn State plays somebody with a pulse. Well, you could say the same about Wisconsin. Are we saying Michigan has a pulse? Unclear. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> A team with average of like four and a half star talent. Yeah, uh, Penn, Penn State is is playing in the threes right now. True. Yeah, true. A lot of football to be played for both of those teams. Let's put it that way. Uh, Wisconsin forty eight, Kent State zero. Congratulations. Yes. And Ohio State beat Michigan State thirty four to ten. That's the so, big one. I've said it like four weeks in a row now. <laughs> Every time Ohio State played Michigan State in the Urban Meyer area era they either lost or they eked one out and here comes an ohio state team that puts michigan state away long before the fourth quarter and i know that they like i think i saw a headline that they like started sluggish and i'm thinking well maybe like they didn't actually start sluggish and michigan state's just got some decent defense um but holy moly this this ohio state team is next level people if you're not if you're not if you're not buying it yet like just go back. All you have to do is look at the look at the box scores. Look at the final scores of how Ohio State performed in the last three years, and what they did in the first three quarters against Indiana, what they did in the games against Michigan State. Like there is, there's nobody in this conference that's going to challenge them. I'm we, convinced. We, we should add too that Cincinnati looks better and better week by week too, and that 42 to nothing thrashing of Cincinnati is only getting better looking week after week. <laughs> I've seen Cincinnati in person twice. Their defense is phenomenal. Yeah. It is like it, they have Cincinnati, athletes everywhere. Right. Like that team I, might the, win the AAC. Yeah. I, Ohio State went through them like a hot knife through butter. Like they didn't like it was it was they didn't even have to try. And it's very possible that Cincinnati just had an off day. They're on the road in the horseshoe. Fickle against this the whole team. team. Yeah, but this Ohio State team is just – they are locked in like I've never seen them before. It is it is unreal. They are – they are. I'm, I'm booking their place in the playoff right now. They've got uh, a bye week this week to prepare for us, just like we have a bye I, week to prepare for them. Can I be honest? I don't even dislike Ohio State right now. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. Well, in two weeks when their their fans swarm the field, uh, that that'll bring back that ire, I'm sure. No doubt. Um, so this upcoming weekend, we've got uh, some some interesting games in the Big Ten, but some really fun games nationally. Um, starting off at eleven, Michigan at Illinois. That's not an interesting game, but uh, well, I, I guess you know. I'll be really curious to see if Illinois is able to score any points in that game, because the one thing Illinois was able to do up until that Minnesota game was score points. Um, and there's a chance that Michigan will absolutely stone them. Um, but if they do, I don't know who's scoring points in this game. I mean, it could be that Illinois defense is finally the cure for what ails Michigan's offense, 
but we're going to find out. Michigan, you know, smoked Rutgers, but I guess this will be one of those barometers of just how much better Illinois is than Rutgers. We're going to find out. Well, Rutgers in, in, in Bill Simmons parlance, I think Illinois might be the good bad team, which, <laughs> so, which does not bode well for when we play them, but um, they seem to be able to just run the ball and score a lot of points against other not great teams. Uh, we got Rutgers at Indiana. Cool. Congrats, Indiana. Yeah. Uh, Maryland at Purdue. Boy, this one, this is sad because I feel like Maryland probably thrashes Purdue. They're cooked. They're totally cooked. They've got, without Sindelar, the drop off at QB is, is, is too great to overcome when they've also lost their best playmaker. They're just cooked. It's so sad too because now we know this game would have been an absolute shootout. And now I feel like Maryland again, though, it's like this is breaking the right way for Maryland. Um, they, you know, but yeah, but all of a sudden Purdue, Hey, I'm sorry for Purdue, but we're going to need, that's, that's one team we need to be wounded when we play them for sure. Uh, Michigan state at Wisconsin. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I like, I just, can I just fast forward to, to everyone? I, I don't understand Jonathan Taylor. He didn't, Get many yards. I just Heisman candidate. I don't sixty yards on twenty carries. I, I don't understand how did it happen. However, uh, if he uh, goes uh, off how? for like if he goes off for like one fifty, book him a ticket to New York. So I disagree entirely with you, John. Really? Um, Jonathan Taylor has six games in his career in which he's been held under five yards per carry. Three of those against are against Northwestern. Zero of those are against Michigan State. Um. I believe two were against Ohio State and one was against Iowa. I I think Michigan State has a letdown in this game after after losing that big night game to Ohio State and this is at this is at this is in Madison, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean I don't think Taylor runs wild, but I think he has a decent enough day. Um and I think Wisconsin rolls. They are a ten point favorite. Interesting. There's like very few lines out here on uh, on Monday night, um, and they, there are no lines for Michigan, Illinois, Rutgers, Indiana, or Maryland, Purdue. Probably all injury questions. You know, it is still early in the week. Um, but Wisconsin is a ten point favorite over Michigan State. Uh, big matchup. Uh, ABC six thirty Central. Uh, Penn State at Iowa. That that could be that could be a lot of fun. Penn State's offenses look really really good. That game is always tight too. It's been like the past couple of years and, you know, Iowa famously just absolutely blew one, um, where all they had to do was fall down. Um, but I think we learned a lot about Iowa last week. I think we'll earn, learn, earn a lot. I think we'll learn a lot about Penn State this week if they're, if they're for real or not. Yeah. These are two, I mean, these are two awesome offenses. I mean, awesome defenses. I think we've seen what Iowa's capable of on the low end when they play another great defense. And Scuzz's point, we haven't necessarily seen that from Penn State yet, and we might. Like, Iowa's defense is awesome. And I think, yeah, we'll see what Sean Clifford's really made of. And then uh, we, we briefly mentioned it earlier, Nebraska at Minnesota. Questions on <sighs> Martinez's ankle? Um, oh. if, if um, I mean... When Minnesota, 6-0 Minnesota. Yeah, uh, it's, I just feel like we're all going to throw up in our mouths a little bit when Minnesota rolls them. 
Minnesota has, I, I believe this is true, still true. Um, it, it was at least true going into last week. Um, like the worst sack rate in the entire FBS. And if you recall all of our Minnesota previews, we talked about the fact that they have arguably the best run blocking offensive line in the conference. Um, maybe save Wisconsin now, uh, as, as we're, as we're five weeks in, but, um, one of the best offensive lines run blocking in the conference. And we called it one of the worst pass blocking lines because they're, they're just, they're behemoths and they don't have the speed to get around to, to, to stop defensive ends coming around the edge. And when Tanner Morgan can run play action, when his running game is working, he's deadly. And any team that can stop that run, Minnesota's in deep caca. Um, Nebraska is not a team that can do that. And Minnesota <laughs> uh, looking nationally, there's some, you know, really, really fun games. I mean, the Red River rivalry, the Red River shootout, I, I refuse to call it the showdown because whatever. Uh, Oklahoma, Texas is going to be a lot of fun. Um, you know, top, two top 11 teams there. Um, yep. Always, always a tight game. Yeah. A Bama, Bama A and M. I, I still don't, I don't believe in A and M, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> not always a tight game. Not always like, you know, um, <laughs> I, I, I will enjoy watching the bloodbath that will be Clemson over Florida State. Uh, but I mean, yeah, the, the big one is you've got Florida and LSU. Uh, shout shout out to our boy Chris at Winning Cures Everything. I do not think this will be a big matchup. I mean, uh, game day is going to be there. It's you know. I think Florida has been just dodging the Reaper this entire season, <laughs> and I think the the Reaper hath arrived, and he is waiting in Death Valley. I do not. I joke. <laughs> I do, yeah, I do not believe Florida is the seventh best team in the country. LSU may be better than fifth, um, and one way to find out would be if they put a hurting on Florida, and I think that's what they're going to do. Well, inter- interesting. Like, I, I think you can probably argue as to whether Ohio's like the LSU offense or the Florida defense is the best unit on the field because Florida's D has looked lights out the last few weeks, but. Um, on the other side, I mean, it seems pretty clear that LSU's defense is better than Florida's offense. So I don't know. That's where I land. But we'll, I guess we'll see how it plays out. Because the other thing about this game, though, this game is always like crazy and unpredictable. I think I saw Spencer Hall tweet something earlier today around around the idea of like every LSU Florida game, <laughs> close your eyes, flip a coin, and see what happens. Because um, it just it just doesn't always go to script. Um, other interesting games, you know, the U- USC Notre Dame is always entertaining and, you know, USC has been frisky in places and, you know, is Notre Dame for real? Well, we shall find out. Is USC going to be the one to prove that they're not for real? We shall also find out. Has USC done anything other than beat a, a pre-injury decimated Stanford? No, I mean they beat Washington, but the blooms off that rose now. Oh, they got um, no, they got Utah. hammered by Washington. No, they beat they Utah. That was their Washington. big win. Utah, that's right. That's yeah, that's right. right. That was their big. Yeah, yeah. The, they, uh, they lost to BYU and then beat Utah. Yeah, that's right. Um, I think Notre Dame's gonna smoke them. I have I have a game that I'd like to highlight because it's a game that 
based on the two teams involved, probably almost no one would pay attention to, and that the casual fan would expect to be an even matchup, that's UConn at Tulane. This game is going to be an absolute bloodbath. Uh, the spread is 34. And for the spread to be 34, Tulane would have to score, for, for Tulane not to cover, they would have to be scoring under 34 points in this game. Uh, that is a really good Tulane team, and UConn is the worst football team in the country. Um, they are an ap- absolutely horrific in every way. Uh, and Tulane, I mean, Tulane's, uh, I actually went so far as to look it up, Scuzz, that I think Tulane and Cincinnati would not play each other until the AAC championship game. Now, Tulane would have to get through UCF, amongst other schools, I think, to get that far. But... Um, and, that, and Memphis. Pretty, I mean, Tulane's yeah. got Memphis, UCF, and a su- suddenly spry SMU team. Right. So, I mean, Tulane's only loss is at Auburn, and they've got, yeah, win over Houston and a win over a good Army team. So, yeah, they're, they are going to be scoring points in buckets against yeah, UConn. But, yeah, AAC football. Catch the excitement. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I couldn't help myself. It actually, it is kind of exciting. I'm, I, I won't lie. Like with with the with the landscaper in Northwestern being what it is, um, I will. I, I Sam, Sam, the most fun I, any of us. I mean, Scott, the most fun any of us have had in a football stadium this year is you at Cincinnati's football stadium. So, yeah, it's truth. Um, well, you guys had fun at UNLV, um, but I mean, yeah, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. That fifty-yard bomb was. Um, it was, it was pretty. Beautiful. It was I know, pretty, but I mean, feels like a long time ago. But um, it was gorgeous. All right. Anything else to you know before we just let's close the door on this guy? I mean, let's uh, put Ooh. number four hundred to bed. We have the eighth ranked defense in the country. That that is. Um, yep. Nothing else. That is something to be pretty effing excited about, and to. You know, let's just enjoy one side of the ball. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- and also, thanks to all of you who've been here for some or all or many of the, these 400. Again, I wish we were celebrating this birthday in, uh, in better ways, but we'll be here long after episode 400 and, and, uh, long after our offense returns to relevance. Well, who knows how long that's going to take, but we will, we will be here. If and when that ever happens. Definitely not 24 hours. That would never, <laughs> ever happen. <laughs> well, on that note, let's go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics, and look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skousel, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.